Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip addresses the biggest tax we pay. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And now, here's Philip. All right, another episode of the Ask Philip podcast. And y'all, listen, I spent all week thinking through how to do this episode because it's a complex topic, but I, I think it, it, it needs to be understood better because it has such a big impact in, in wealth and uh, wealth building and, and wealth destruction. So those who are live, please share the video. Those who are listening, uh, make sure you share this episode. There's a new cool feature on like Spotify where it says like popular to share if it's been shared a lot. So I'm hoping to get that popular to share label on one of my episodes. So everybody who listens, share it. Just if you listen to one of my episodes before, you're listening to this one and it brings you even one nugget of value, I want you to share the video if you're listening live and share the podcast if you're listening on uh, whatever platform. And for those of you who, ha- who have not listened on Spotify, go to Spotify and listen so I can get that popular to share a uh, little label. It's a little goal of mine. But let's let's get into it because the topic today is the biggest tax we pay and taxes in quotations. But so here's what prompted me to to think about it. I had a client that called me, you know, or he texted me eight o'clock on the dot, right? Because he's, you know, respectful, older guy, knows that it's not not cool to call anybody before 8 a.m. and after five without getting permission. So he waited till eight, texted me and said, hey, call me when you're when you're up and ready. And so called him and he's retired, a retired client of mine. And he was just, you know, he had a tax question because he thought that, you know, he thought that they were going to uh, take 85 percent of his of his Social Security. Right. And they, I explained what, what it actually it just meant that it was going to be taxable, but they weren't going to take 85 percent. But the point was he was freaked out about taxes, which is not normal. Right. When people get a when they're filing for taxes or they know they're going to owe taxes, a lot of people freak out and. Hey, tax. Matter of fact, we're in a situation right now where everybody's worried about the potential Biden tax increases because that's the government taking money from us from from them not planning properly, right? And granted, I mean, yeah, we got to have taxes to pay for things and all that kind of stuff. But my point is, nobody likes to pay taxes. People ought to get as upset about inflation as they do about taxes, but inflation is like a concept that's like. Physics, right? It's really tough to understand. And there's, you know, they like to say, hey, this is a simple inflation rate. But there's not a simple inflation rate, right? Because there's an inflation rate for college, right? College has grown at a different growth rate than food, right? And the inflation rate for people who live in Texas is different than the inflation rate for people who live in California or New York, all things being equal. There's a different inflation rate for cars, right? And so everybody has a different budget and a different amount of way play, way they, they spend their money. And so it's different, right? Rich people have a different inflation rate than people who, you know, have less money. And so um, there's also asset inflation, right? Asset inflation is the growth of different asset classes relative to other asset classes. And I give you like an example, because of all the money printing over the last 
whatever, 50 years, there's been the financial industry has benefited because they're, you know, they make money. They, they're close to the money. And when there's money printed and you're one of the first to get it, right, you, it's like a Ponzi scheme, right? You get to ride the wave first. Same thing with Silicon Valley, right? They're the other financing arm for startups. So you got startups that people are becoming billionaires from companies that don't make money because they're close to the money, right? And what that does is it push, you know, they get to buy bigger homes, push out people who might work for a manufacturer or, you know, a job that's not close to the money. And that creates like problems, right? It's, and it's not, I'm not blaming anybody in the industry, but I'm just saying that's inflation that has caused a lot of the problems in society, right? A lot of the problems that have come in society with the wealth gap is not Democrats' problem. It's not Democrats that cause it. It's not Republicans that cause it. It's a system that is built around money printing for inflation, right? People will say, well, well why do why does the government inflate money? Well, they or, or print money, which causes inflation. Because let me, let me backtrack. Let me actually... What inflation basically does is people think it's normal for asset prices to they they think that asset prices or the you know price of cars or this is going up it's, it's actually like in real in in real terms not going up it's the value of the money going down right it's kind of like an optical illusion you know so when you say oh yeah you know cars cost more than what they cost ten years ago houses cost more than what, it's, it's really it really doesn't cost more it's it takes more currency to buy the same unit of of house because they they printed money and make it made it worth less, right? So we all know supply and demand, right? If you fix demand and you create more supply of something, right, it, it makes that something worth less because there's more of it, right? Chasing chasing same goods. And so we've grown up viewing inflation incorrectly. It's not the cost of things going up. It's the value of our money going down. And and that's the system, right? The system of capitalism is built to drive people to invest in productive uses of money to to potentially increase the quality of life everybody. That that's at least what it was designed to do. It's not actually what it what it did. But but that is that is inflation and and in a sense it's like it's theft, right? So if you say if you say okay, if it happened naturally, then that would be like the market forces deciding, but whenever you have people behind closed doors deciding how much money is is printed, and it affects everybody, and it affects some better than more, that's a transfer from one people to another people, and that that's what the problem created. Let me let me let me go a little deeper. Let me let me explain further what I mean because I'm I'm going into the weeds on this, but let's go to why governments print money in the first place and why they create inflation. It's not really to create those gaps. It's because governments have expenses and they overspend. And when they overspend, they can do one or two things. They can like tax, increase taxes, or they can like just create create money out of thin air and pay for those expenses, right? And so uh, it's hard for politicians to increase taxes to a level where they've been spending money crazily. So the easiest and most convenient thing to do is to just print money to pay for their expenses, right? And that and that money printing is what creates that inflation and the big wealth gap that we that that we talked about and the unintended consequences of it. Is, I don't I wouldn't say it's malicious, you know, in general, but it's like, hey, we're running out of money, we can't increase in taxes, so we got to, you know, we have to print more money. And that's happened with governments like, you know, if, if you think if it's funny, I asked somebody, I said, "Hey, you, you know quarters how they have those ridges?" 
around them. I was like, why do you think they had those? Or why was those ridges invented? They're like, I don't know. I was like, well, because back in the Roman times, people would like shave coins to take a l- over time. They shave a bunch of little bit of coins to to like make the money worth less, right? So if 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 this size coin was worth so much money, they would shave little bits of coins and then melt it, reharden, and create a new one. They were like taking the the government and people were like stealing money. So so you would think you got this value of a coin, but you really got that value minus what was shaving, right? That was um, the early, you know, money printing that governments did to pay for wars and everything, and people did to, like, cheat other people. And so that's the equivalent of what's happening with the government. They're saying, hey, we can't pay for our expenses, so we're going to go ahead and cheat you. We're going to give you, we're going to create this inflation and print more money to pay for these things, but what it ends up doing is it's stealing money from from everybody and people say well, where, where does the money come how's who's the money stolen from first from savers right because think about this in a normal economic environment where you don't have the government money printing and manipulating interest rates savings accounts pay interest you know and ideally they pay they pay interest that's higher than the cost of living increase does that make sense so for example savings accounts used to pay four percent five percent and if cost of living is growing by 2% a year, cool. Like, you know, you put money in savings account, you earn 2%, 3% a year, um, you actually, like, earn money in your savings. But if savings accounts are paying 1% or nothing, which they're paying nothing now, and the cost of living is growing at whatever, some some number higher than than that, you're, you're, lo- you're, like, losing money every single year. And let me give you a visual, right? Let me give you, like, a real-life visual of, of what I mean by this. So, so... Let's say, like when I'm playing with somebody, they'll say, Philip, how much money do I need to retire? And let's let's say I let's say we calculate a million dollars is how much they need to retire. I say, cool, I got my number to, to live on X amount of income. I need a million bucks. But over the next 30 years, if you know, when the government prints more money, 30 years from now, it might cost them now four million, right? Because they expanded the money and the cost of living went up. And so they get to retirement with a million. But they need four million to to live on the same lifestyle because the cost of goods went up more. And so what they basically did was they stole three fourths of your of your wealth, right? You still have the million dollars, but the government stole three fourths of your wealth to pay for wars in Iraq, right? To pay for other stuff. Now you and you and in the in the, in the interim, the financially astute people who understand inflation, they also benefited because they they took the free money from the government printing. And they invested in assets that did better than that, right? But, but the regular everyday person that does that's not aware, they get their wealth stolen, and 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 they don't because there's a lot of people sitting around that are like, Philip, I got my money in bonds, it's safe. I got my money in cash, it's safe. I got I got four hundred grand here. I, it was four hundred grand five years ago. I didn't lose any money in the stock market. I was like, yeah, but like the you know my estimation of real inflation. It's grown at seven or eight percent over the last four or five years, right? And at that rate, it chops the value of your money in half every seven to nine years, right? And I was like, I was like, so you actually are losing money slowly, and you do not realize it, and that that's a that's a big problem over time. But the government can do it because there's no uproar, right? The person with four hundred grand in the bank is like, I got four hundred grand in the bank, or or what's even worse, and this is the worst part. There's people that have, you know, millions of dollars in bonds. And bonds like a 
promise to pay you. It's like a loan, right? So you'll get a loan, and the government bonds right now are paying one percent. Most of the most of the world are negative, but government the U.S. government bond you can they'll you can lend them money at one point six percent, and it's the safest bond. And so you're saying, cool, they're paying one point six percent. I just told you that the real inflation is seven or eight percent a year, right? So what that means is you're losing, you're still losing money every single year. Right, um, you're, they're destroying your wealth every single year, and, pe- and people are sitting there going, "Yeah, but it's safe; it's not going to zero. But that's not the important part. The important part is, the important part is, are you going to be able to buy what you want to buy ten years from now? Here, here's a better visual. Right, we all have seen in L.A. and New York this big homeless crisis over the last ten, twenty years. Right, there's more homeless people in 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 the in the West Coast and the East Coast than ever before, and the main reason is because the cost of the average house has gone up four times the average income rate over the last, since 1960. Let me say it again. The average house cost in the U.S. has gone up four times the average income. What does that mean? If it took 10% of your paycheck in 1960 to pay for your home, it now costs 40% of your paycheck to buy the same home, right? It's like a 30% tax, you know, on on your income, and, and it and it disproportionately affects the middle income class and the and and, and and the poor. That is a side effect of inflation, right? And and you know, for those who are getting bored, you know, press pause if you're listening. You know, take it, go, go drink some water, drink some coffee. But I'm going boring on you because this is important to understand. Like, it's just like you don't really want to understand taxes, but you understand the effect of it and you hire an accountant to help you deal with those. I'm sitting on this because I want you to understand the net effect of inflation because my job as a wealth manager is to make sure that tax, right, the inflation tax doesn't eat up all your wealth 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, right? Because the, the the way you invest is when you're investing, you're thinking, okay, if if this is what I pay on taxes on my money and this is what I pay, this is what inflation is going to be, my money has to earn more than that for me to build wealth, right? Or you end up like the people that are homeless now because their incomes didn't keep pace with the cost of living in a home, right? And so they're they're homeless. And so you, when you're saving and investing, you're saying at some point in the future, I'm going to need a pile of money to maintain my lifestyle. And I need the money I'm putting away now to grow at a faster rate than the government's going to print money, right? And so what we, what we, what, what you do know is cash is definitely not going to do it because it's paying nothing. Bonds 30 years ago did it. Today they're paying 1.5% or negative. They're not going to do it, and so that that the that that leaves you with, with with stocks, right? And and by the way, y'all, this is not investment advice. I'm just I'm just talking to you about the way I think about money and all that kind of stuff. Then you look at stocks, and then you think, okay, in an environment where the government's printing money and interest rates are at zero, without going too darn on you, that basically says I need to own companies that can grow their cash at a rate higher than they're printing which is somewhere in the 15, 20% range. Or I need to own companies like Apple maybe that can borrow money cheap and then leverage and then and then if if they're only, you know, they're borrowing money cheap, 
and then they're leveraged and they're, and they're buying back their shares, which basically is kind of like when you're buying real estate and you're leveraging it up. You're like, hey, if I want to, if I want to earn more returns on real estate, I just add more debt to it, right? So, so you want to find a strong company with a good balance sheet that can leverage their balance sheet up, and 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 they may or may not do better, right? And by the way, that's only that's less than twenty percent of the stocks in the marketplace. So, so the majority of the stocks are going to have their value destroyed by government printing. Because, by the way, this is, this is not a U.S. phenomenon. Governments all around the world over the next 5, 10, 5, 7, 10 years are going to have to print money to get rid of all this debt, right? It, that, that is a foregone conclusion. If, if you look in the history of when we have a slowdown in the world growth and you have this amount of debt, they, governments default to pay for the debt or they, you know, or they print a lot of money to pay for the debt. So this is going to happen. So, 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 so it, and, and, and nobody who understands finance disagrees. Like this is a, this is a universal agreement. The government's got to print money. So as an investor, you got to think, okay, cash is not going to keep pace with inflation. Bonds are not going to keep pace with inflation. 80% of stocks won't, really 90% of stocks won't, right? Keep pace with inflation. So I'm going to get destroyed. Gold over the last 20 years, which, which used to be a good store of value in the seventies has done a terrible job. Um, of keeping pace with inflation for a whole lot of reasons. But one of the main reasons is a lot of that money that would have, that would have normally gone into gold has gone into Bitcoin, right? And I'm leading into the why behind Bitcoin and why people are investing in Bitcoin because Bitcoin basically, at a basic level, let, let's describe automation, right? So let's say, why do companies replace people with automation? Because People, we, we have emotions, we got issues. And so, and so if, if, if I'm saying, if I can get a computer to do the person of a job, a computer's not going to think outside the box, but they're going to do exactly what I want the computer to think. They're, they're not going to deviate. They're going to be disciplined. They do it 24 hours a day. I can count on it. I can, I can trust it, right? So not all jobs can be computerized, but there's a lot of stuff getting automated because the computer doesn't have emotions. You can, it's, it's disciplined. You don't have to manage it, right? So you think about monetary policy. You think about, all right, Philip, you just described the problem. Government's printing money um, because they're being undisciplined with their money. And, they're, and, they, and they always have and they always will be. From there, there, there is not one government ever in the history of governments that has not devalued its currency. Like, not one. Like, government currencies always get devalued 100% of the time, right? So, so you're like, okay. We got five. We got thousands of years of history. They've already been doing it. They're continuing to do it. They're telling you they're going to do it. And so, so then you say, okay, let me design a whole new monetary system. But let me take the humans out because they don't have discipline, and let me put in a program. And so, in Bitcoin, the computer program is this is how it works. Twelve humans or behind closed doors can't change it. Right? There's only going to be 21 million Bitcoin that are ever available. If anything changes, 51 percent of the People who run nodes, or which anybody can run a node, uh, has a change. So basically, the people all have to agree to change the system, which is not going to happen, right? Or it has to be a really good reason. And so you have a situation where you're like, cool, this monetary system, I can store my wealth in, and I do not have to worry about governments printing my wealth out of existence because they can't, right? No, Bitcoin is not a corporation. It's not owned by one person. It can't be controlled, um, by again, five people, one people, two people, right? It is a automated monetary system. And what you don't have, you don't have to have a finance degree to know is scarcity is more valuable, right? If you have a resource that's scarce, it's, it's more valuable. And so 
this monetary system for Bitcoin is one where people are saying, okay, cool, this one is going down a drain, but this one is is scarce. And in a world where my wealth is being printed out of existence by money in, in 80% of stocks, 90% of stocks, in bonds, in cash, which is hundreds of trillions of dollars of wealth, right? People are saying, okay, I want to put myself, I want to put my wealth somewhere where it's scarce, right? And And forever, people who understand money have done that, right? That's why art has had a phenomenal rate of return over the last 20 years because you can buy a, a scarce painting. Real estate, good investment because they're not making any more of it, right? It's it's where people put their money. Again, you know, gold historically has held its value, but the reason why people who normally would have owned gold is putting money in Bitcoin is because you can't, like, try to move $100 million worth of gold. You can't keep it in your house and then... You know, it's in the bank, but there, but there, you, you, you can't. There's no way for you to know the bank is not like reeling your gold out to other people, right? And then if you want to transfer your gold to a different country because your country became a socialist and is taking property rights, try, how much do you think it's going to cost to transfer a hundred million dollars worth of gold, right? And how difficult would that be? Like, extremely difficult. And so you have people with, you know, companies. We got 25 billionaires who own Bitcoin now, um, and a bunch of corporations. And the reason is. You know, you can put an unlimited amount of money onto a cold wallet uh, in Bitcoin or have, keep, keep your keys in your head and tra- put that value digitally and, and it's, 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 it's easily movable, right? And again, you don't have to worry about your, your value being printed out of, out of existence. So, so, so and, and, and the math on that is if, if you look at, okay, how much has Bitcoin grown over the last 10 years or so? Something like 200% a year, right? Compound it over that 10-year period of time, which is well above the growth rate of, of cost of living. And so this is why you see Bitcoin kind of exploding. It is, a, it is a better monetary system than the current one because you have automation. And it's a better store of value, in my opinion, than everything else going forward. I'm not saying, again, I'm not, making, I'm not even saying about Bitcoin. I'm explaining to you the deal, but I'm, and it's, it's also not wise to put all your money in Bitcoin. But, but my point is, this is why you see a lot of finance folks in love with Bitcoin. Because when you, it's kind of like being a doctor. Like I would, like I, I have clients that, um, they're a medical company and they clean hospitals. And I don't even want to know, like, I, I know now, but hospitals are like super dirty, right? And, and, and so, because they do it, they're able to say, Philip, I, I won't even do most hospitals, you know, because they're in it. And so when you're a finance person, when you understand the finance system and you and you go, mm, mm, I don't like this, you know, because we actually like see what's going on, know what's going on. This, this, this is the reason why a lot of money is moving that way. But I was going to make one more point, man, but I want to I want to I want to dial it back a little bit because I feel like I've gotten into the weeds on this Bitcoin inflation conversation but th- this is why you see a lot of folks talking about bitcoin here, here here's some here's some questions i've had about it though because I, I, I i'll get out of that people say well philip what is the risk of bitcoin right or a, a better question is you know can't the government if this is going to like stop the government from being able to print money which is what they need to do to pay for their deficits aren't they going to ban bitcoin right or can't they ban it they you know that's like saying can they ban the internet you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can stop it. You can stop the internet in your country. I mean, you know, but 
that would be that would be not super smart, right? That wouldn't be a smart thing. And 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 the only way for them to actually the only way for them to ban Bitcoin is to cut the internet off. Because even even in you know China where they you know limit Bitcoin some or li- not China where they limit Facebook, YouTube, Google, they just buy VPNs and they still watch YouTube videos, right? So unless you shut the internet off, you can't <laughs> you can't stop Bitcoin. And and at this point, it's more of an idea of people saying. Hey, there's a there's a trillion dollars, which includes billionaires and finance companies, who have said, "I'm checking I'm checking out of this this current system for some of my money because it's broken." And even if you for even if, I don't know how you do it, but even if you were to able to stop that process, you're not going to kill the idea. It's like taking guns from Americans. You're not taking Americans' guns. You know what I mean? Like that, that's and you can debate it. You can talk about it, but. You're never going to turn America into UK because it's in the DNA of the people to protect ourselves from government tyranny. So, so if you think they're going to fight like that from guns, what are they going to do about our money? You know what I mean? And so that is a risk, but it's a, it's a low risk. But but what I also say is, okay, where else do you put your money? So if, so if we basically said we need to put some money somewhere where it's not going to get confiscated by inflation, where else do you put it? You know? Again, most of stocks are not going to do it. They confiscated gold, and gold's not even working, so you can't put it in gold. I mean, you, people say, "Oh, well, China. China's on the rise." I mean, China disrespects property right. They're the they're the worst offender for dis. I mean, for they 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 basically their richest guy, Jack Ma, who had IPO, he spoke negatively of them, and they like just said, "Okay, we're gonna run you. We're gonna stop your IPO and just destroy billions of dollars of work." So, I mean, you're gonna put it in China, like. I, if I had to say odds, the odds of the U.S., which is a small chance, you know, banning, outlawing, killing Bitcoin, which again they can't do, but the odds of them doing it, I think is is lower. You know, like I'd much rather have it in Bitcoin and risk that than put it in China and risk an authoritarian government who 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 has a history of oppressing. I mean, they just they're you know not that the U.S. is an oppressors, but China is a communist system. You know what I mean, like. And so, so my deal is it's all about probabilities. Like, you know, don't put all your, you know, I don't put all my money in it, but I'm saying, hey, this is the most probable asset that has earned returns higher than the money destruction inflation. That's a better alternative than the current monetary system. That is the solution for the problem that we all have, which is how do we keep money safe when governments are printing crazy amounts of money, right? So it's just probabilities. That is actually what Bitcoin is. So that's that's what we got. Larry, you got any questions on that? Was that was that no, I, I know I went I know I went nerd on no, that. No, 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 no. It's amazing, man. I took a lot of notes. <laughs> I took a lot of notes, man. Because that whole transparency thing is is different because uh, I remember reading the book Family Fortunes, how the Rothschilds and all these families they meet and create a hundred year plan. And uh you you really don't think it's true, but it is, because these people are been wealthy since fifteen hundreds, fourteen hundreds, and they're not letting a dime go away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. they, they, they're not in the public eye, but uh, you know, yeah, it's interesting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah no, it, 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 it definitely is, and, it, and I think I think on this episode I did a a terrible but better job of explaining it. But that you know, like my goal over twenty twenty one is like I really want to flush out this idea of like the government stealing your money through inflation because that because like. That is the reason for the health, for the wealth inequality. Like I, I was, me and me and Steve were talking before. Repeat that again, please. 
So the money printing is the reason for the wealth gap. It's it's the reason. It's it's, it's nothing else, right? So so I was I was sharing with um Steve. There's another guy I had on on the podcast. He's a Bitcoiner, older, you know, older, uh, white conservative guy, you know. And our politics could not be further apart. But we're both Bitcoiners, right? And so politics don't matter because the left is mad, the right is mad, and the parties want them to be mad at, at the wrong problem, right? right? But but the right problem is money. the money printing. Yeah, yeah. And so and so and so Bitcoin can attract old, young, white, black, conservative, yeah. liberal, right? College educated, like not college educated, because because the money printing is affecting when you hit that group, they see a better method of financing the world and operating. Right. Because if you take the money printing out, like, there's always going to be people who are richer than other people. Right. But you're not going to, like, it shouldn't be this disparity, right? If, 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 if you look at, like, these banks that are getting paid all this money, bank CEOs, they don't, even, they don't do shit. You know what I'm saying? They're getting paid 100 times more than manufacturers who are actually like making lives better right. because they're close to, because they're close to the money <laughs> right. right they're close to the money i mean that's that that's that's it and i'm not taking anything away from their skill sets but i'm just saying when you have a system where if you're close to the money and it's overprinted and it benefits you like that's not a right system you know what right. i mean right you said something once Philip, that that amazed me when you told me that no one really knows who created bitcoin no, yeah, that, we we don't. And it, it was, and it was brilliant, right? Because because if you knew who created it, then the governments would kill them, or put them in jail, or you know, like attack them like they attacked the Black Panthers. Like they right. basically. Listen, so when Bitcoin came out, it was how was it seen as a novelty? Uh, so so Bitcoin wasn't the first time that people have tried to create digital money. They've been trying to do digital money since like the internet. So since like the nineties, but it but nobody can crack what's called like the it's called like the Byzantine general problem, right? Which is basically like, how do we create this money and make sure that it can't be copied, right? Because everything digital can be copied, right? If you have a, a the MP3 on your phone, right. it can be copied. You know, that's what that's what what was it Napster did? Like right. Napster was just copying music because digital stuff can be copied. So it it solved the problem of how to create something in, in the digital world and not and and have so it be. So what did they do unique, specifically? That, that that's complex, but basically, like the whole the, the miners, right? All these Bitcoin miners. You basically have people who have they they run the program on their computer. Mm-hmm. Anybody can run it. It's people running it all around the world, right? And the people verify. So basically, at all times, they're they're monitoring, and and everybody's coming to consensus to say, okay, yeah, these these transactions are are correct, right? It's 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 complex on how they do it, but the point is. The system verifies the transaction, okay. and, and they said, "Okay, yeah, we all agree that." And when you say blockchain, like blockchain is like data, so they right. say, and it's like you can look in, the, you can look in the system and see all the transactions on the blockchain since Bitcoin was created, but it's being verified by everybody in the system, right? And so that's how you not copy it because if you try to copy it, and everybody's like, "No, nah, we don't agree. That's wrong, right? It doesn't go on the chain, right?" And so, and so, it's, it's technical how they do it, but but that was the way to do it was the whole, you know, minor system. So this is the the, the Bitcoin intro. I'm gonna go more into it again. I'm not. I, I just want to educate people on like money 
And I'm not telling you to go buy Bitcoin. It's a part of my strategy, you know, but I want you to understand the risks, right? It's not just taxes. It's the government's printing money, right? That affects your money. It also affects like what industry that you decide to go work in, because if you're in an industry that does not benefit from the money printing, you know, you're just not going to make as much money, right? It's because they, because people say, what, what other solution does the government have to fix the, the, the financial problem? They default. But why default when you can just print money? You know what I mean? Like there's, they're, they're, they're just going to, they're going to print money. There's, there's no other way because it, it, it's like, it's like, it gets to a point where if somebody borrows too much money, there's a point where you just have to file bankruptcy because you can't grow your income to a level to pay for the debt, right? So so we're at a capacity where they can't grow their way out of it and they owe too much. And, and so it's it's money printing or default and that's where we are. So, hey, y'all enjoy your day. That's it. One of the biggest planning challenges I see for individuals that work at publicly traded companies are planning around their stock base or equity-based compensation. They get stock options, restricted stock, employee stock purchase plans that can majorly affect uh, their tax situation and their balance sheet over time and the decision-making process around what you do with your stock-based compensation can significantly impact your net worth in a positive or or even a negative way way over the long term. And so what I offer to potential new clients is to review your stock-based compensation plan and give my opinion on what you should do, what you should think about, how to put together a strategy around that. It's something that I do on an ongoing basis with existing clients, but I'll offer a no-cost, no-obligation, one-time consultation on your stock-based compensation plan for anybody who's interested. To sign up for a time, go to my website, stonehillwealthmanagement.com, and book a free investment, no-cost, no-obligation review. stonehillwealthmanagement.com. If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.